See, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to again the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter two. Uh, we'll be there. We're walking through the book of Ruth verse by verse uh, this week. Four little chapters. We're going to walk through this, and, and in this we see the gospel in this short story, sort of microcosm form. If you weren't here last night, that's okay. I'm going to catch you up right now in a brief way. If you were here, maybe you need to be reminded of where we are in this story because this truly is a story. This reads like a story. This is a, a piece of literature, and it's meant to show us God. So, so last night, as we walked through Ruth 1, I titled that sermon, A Road to Nowhere, and largely it was because there was a man named Elimelech and his family. They were Israelites. They were living in Bethlehem. But they were living in the days of the Judges. Uh, the, the book before uh, Judges ends with these words. It was in the day when there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eye. And so they were living in that time. And because of the, the rebellion of the people of God, there was a famine in the land. Rather than trusting God to keep his promise to provide, Elimelech decided to take his family and leave the land of promise, to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, because he looked around and he saw there was no bread in Bethlehem, and he didn't trust his God to provide, and so he took them to Moab. Now, Moab would have been a, a, a wicked pagan city, but this was a father and a husband. It didn't matter. He was going to take his family there because he trusted himself to provide more than he did his own God. While they were there in Moab, Elimelech died. His sons, they married Moabite women while they were there. And after 10 years, those sons died without children, which left Naomi a widow and childless. She didn't have any children. She didn't have any grandchildren after 10 years of, of, of her sons being married, and she was all alone. She's left there in this foreign land with no husband, no sons, and two pagan daughters-in-law. Naomi gets word, though, in the process of this, that the famine in Bethlehem had been lifted. And so she decides, I'll go back. I don't know what I'll find there, but I'm going to go back. And we saw last night how that word shuv, the return, was prominent in that chapter. Eleven times used there to, to draw our attention to what God was doing, and He was call, calling them back. Naomi gets word that the famine had lifted. She decides to return, and she argued to her daughters-in-law that they, instead of going back to Bethlehem with her, they should just go back to their own families, that she would be okay, that God had reached out his hand against Naomi, and he didn't want the same thing to happen to them. So she would understand if they would just turn around, go back to their families, stay in the land of Moab, and leave her to be. It's not that she didn't love her daughters-in-law. She did. She had come to love them in 10 years. But she just couldn't bear to see them hurt the way that she hurt. She couldn't bear to see them give up what was, what's, what was really the sensible thing to do. You're still young enough to have children. You can marry again. Just go back to your people. Don't waste your life by tethering your cart to mine. And Ruth uh, Orpah, I should say, Orpah decides that is the sensible thing to do. I love you, mother-in-law, but I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to stay in Moab. Ruth said, I'm not going back. 
Naomi, I'm going with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And this is her declaration of faith. She was converted as an Old Testament believer who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And this was the moment where we believe she was converted to faith. Well, these two women, Naomi and Ruth, travel back to to Bethlehem, and she's been gone for 10 years, but when Naomi walks back into the town, the town is abuzz, and the women begin to say, is this Naomi? That can't be Naomi. And Naomi said these words, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. We left last night, Naomi was in a desperate place. She was defeated. She was hopeless. She said to them, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty with no food and with no family. But as we closed out last night, chapter 1, we ended with a ray of hope because they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so we see already in the setup of the literature that what began with a famine As they return, they're coming back at the beginning of harvest. And this is a clue for us as to what God is doing. I want to give you just just another setup here, another clue. When you read this, we're reading a story that's being told by a narrator. The narrator has has uh, uh, has the, the good favor of being able to look back. He knows more of the story than even Naomi and Ruth know at this point. So verse 1 is this comment by the narrator to let us know, hey, here's what's about to happen. Let me give you a clue about what's to happen. And that's why he says what he does in verse 1. The story, though, really starts in verse 2. The author lets us know that Ruth doesn't know, and, and Naomi has apparently forgotten that there is one who can be a redeemer the kinsman redeemer. And we're about to meet Boaz in this story. He's a relative of her husband. He would be a relative of Ruth's deceased father-in-law. And according to the the law of the land, leverant marriage, we see here this this potential of a brother or a close relative of, of a deceased man being able to marry his widow in order to keep the lineage going on so that he can perhaps bear a son, not to take his own name, but to take the name of his brother, so that they would be able to preserve the family line, be able to to preserve the, the land. And this is what we see is going on. We're told here that Boaz is a worthy man. Now that could speak to a couple different things. It could speak to the fact that he's a wealthy man, You're going to see as we read through this passage together that he is a man that has land, he has fields, he has harvest going on, he has people that are working for him to to bring in that harvest. He's obviously a man of some means, but it could also speak to the fact that he's not just a wealthy man financially, but he is a wealthy man in character. That the first thing he says to those that are there working in his fields when, when he comes upon them is... May the Lord be with you. He speaks in such a way in a day where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, when no one was really paying attention to the Lord or submitting to, to, to Him, Boaz seems to be faithful even in those days. 
And so he's a worthy man in, in more ways than one. The characters in this story, we see them kind of narrow down really to three main characters, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. They are meant to show us some things about the character and the workings of God. And that's what I want to spend our time on tonight, is I want to give you some lessons that we learn from Naomi, from Ruth, and from Boaz tonight in this chapter 2. So let me just pray for us, and then we'll walk through. I'm not going to read it and then go back to it. I'm going to read a verse or two, talk about it, read a verse or two, talk about it as we walk through. But let me pray. Lord, I need your help. Your word is truth. And Lord, it is truth beyond the truth that we know sometimes is just a, just a statement of fact, just two plus two equals four. Lord, your word is truth in the fact that it gives life. Lord, I can't convey that. I can't, I, I can't bestow life on anyone here, but Lord, you can. And so God, I pray, I ask you, I beg you, Lord, by the power of your word to call us away from sin and call us into faith in your Son. Would you do it for your glory? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From the person of Ruth, we learn that happenstances don't just happen. Happenstances don't just happen. Look at verse 2. We read there in verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I, I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. Ruth, all Ruth is doing here is looking up and saying, I, I got to do something. I've got to provide for us, Naomi. Let me just go to the field. Perhaps someone out there will look on me with favor. Let me go and I'll glean and at least we'll have something to eat. You see, God's law made provision for the poor, for the widow, and for the foreigner. In Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, we're told there, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and leave them for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. We already, just in the Second verse of chapter 2, see a little bit of the character of God. That God, he, he is a God who cares for his own. Ruth was definitely dependent on the favor of a stranger. And she didn't realize, even though she had come to believe in the God of Naomi, who was now her God, she didn't realize that he was the one who would provide that for her. In verse 3, look at verse 3 in chapter 2. So she set out. And went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she, had, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, you and I know that happenstances don't just happen, but Ruth is going to learn this. The way the writer of Ruth it writes this, he's piling up words. The original language would be something like, her chance chanced, or her happenstance happened. You don't write that way, but that's what we get in the original language. And it's meant to make us see, we should question this. I just happened to come on this. I just, she just happened to wind up in the field of the one who might possibly be her kinsman redeemer. He's stacking these words to cause the reader to question. 
But it gets even better than that. Look at verse 4 through 7. The writer says there, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now notice the way the servant describes Ruth here. He doesn't even say her name. He's almost embarrassed that, that there's this Moabite girl who's in the field. It's almost as if he's, he feels like he's giving an account to, 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 to Boaz, and he's embarrassed that he's let this girl, who's this pagan girl from somewhere else, into the field to work. And he won't even say her name. At the same time that Ruth is gleaning, we see that Boaz just happens to arrive, and, and he notices Ruth. Just as Ruth didn't just happen to be in Boaz's field, Boaz doesn't just happen to show up at this exact time. We are meant to conclude that this is too good to be coincidence, that God is up to something behind the scenes. And already in this little chapter, we see that, that happenstances don't just happen. And I hope you know that in your life, that God is always working behind the scenes. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, we can be quietly confident, not because we know exactly what God is doing in this unpredictable world, but because we know that what is unpredictable to us is already predicted by Him. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is sovereign, who knows the end from the beginning? The Bible tells us that He is the Alpha and the Omega, that He's the beginning and the end. Paul said it this way, that he's the author and finisher of our race. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We know that, that God is always at work behind the scenes. God orders the steps and the affairs of men. Now, we need to be careful here because this doesn't reduce life down to fatalism, as if everything is already predetermined and, and we are merely robots. We're just cogs in this machine that God has set in motion. No, this is not fatalism. God somehow in His sovereign will and His sovereign wisdom is able to work through even the decisions and the choices of, of individuals to accomplish His end. You remember what Joseph said when, when his brothers had come and he was confronting them in the end? And they were afraid that he, what he was going to do to them. And, and Joseph said to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And one of the greatest things that you and I are meant to see in the midst of this is that happenstances don't just happen. That God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now wrestle with that. Grapple with that. That's the God that we worship. That's the God who has made everything and revealed Himself to us. This is our God. Happenstances don't just happen. Is there an area of your life, though, in which you believe is hopeless? Perhaps you've gone too far? I would tell you that because God is always at work behind the scenes, just hold on. 
Because God is going to do what God alone can do. And if you are his child by faith in his son, he has promised to take you all the way to glory. There is coming a day when it will take place. Have you experienced unexplainable uh, alignment of circumstances and details? And you say, There's, I don't know how this lined up. Can I suggest to you that perhaps the hand of God is at work in your life in ways that you've not yet to this point seen? Just like Naomi, when we left last time, she couldn't see the, the bright hope, the goodness that, that God had poured into her life. You remember she stood before all those women in, in Bethlehem when she came back in, and she said, God took me away. I, I went away empty, and God brought me back, or I went away full, God brought me back empty. And she couldn't even see that Ruth, this daughter-in-law, and now this sister in the Lord, was with her. Maybe there's something in your life that you, are, you failed to see to this point. I want to give you a word of caution, though, in this, this, um, in this teaching, because it would be easy to come at this and say, happenstances don't just happen. God is always at work. God is always doing things. And so when, when you begin to see his hand, you ought to trust him and go into it. There, it would be easy for us in that moment to look at our circumstances, to look at maybe even our, the inclinations of our sinful hearts and think that if I have a proclivity toward this or if a circumstance presents this opportunity, we must not use it to justify sin. Because there are times when, yes, things will line up in this way, but God will never contradict what He approves with what He has said. The revealed will of God will, will, will always stand. So the first thing we see in this, this story, the second chapter of Ruth, is that happenstances don't just happen. And secondly, from Boaz, we learn how God loves the outcast. God loves the outcast, and we see it in the person of Boaz. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. I mean, think about how he's speaking to her. He speaks to her as if she is a real person, because she is. To this point, she has felt like a nobody. Even her own mother-in-law has treated her like a no one. And here's this wealthy Israelite landowner, and he's speaking to this Widow, Moabite, pagan girl. And he says, listen, daughter. He speaks to her in this kind, gentle way. This would have been shocking. This would have been scandalous in that day. Verses 8 and 9 continue. He says, listen to me, daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Boaz assures her that she's welcome. He's wel she's always welcome in his field, and she has no need to go anywhere else. He continues in verse 9, and he says, Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Not only has he said, You're welcome, there is no need for you to go anywhere else, but he also says, I've told my men to watch over you, to protect you. Don't go anywhere else because you don't know what will happen to you there. I've charged my men to protect you. And then he says, 
And when you get thirsty, go over here and my men will draw water. Now you think about this. In a, in a day where, where foreigners drew water for Israelites and, and women drew water for men, here in this story we see the Israelite men drawing water for this pagan Moabite girl. This in itself is, is, is meant to say in our, our minds that we're meant to draw the conclusion this is upside down, this is backward. Verse 14, look at, look at verse 14. And, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Here we see Boaz himself serving her. Again, this is the, the, the wealthy landowner, and he takes the time to serve her. She probably, when she left that day to come into the field, really she probably had nothing to eat. She brought nothing with her. But now not only does she have lunch, but the Bible here tells us that she has a doggy bag, that she gets to take leftovers home. This is an amazing picture here. She ate her fill and even took home extra. Verses 15 and 16. There we read, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Here we see Boaz pile even more generosity on top. He instructs his men to, to let her come out from the edges of the field. He doesn't stay tethered to the letter of the law. The law would say, leave the edges. But Boaz says, no, no, no. Don't just restrict her to the edges. Let her come in from the edges. And even, even beyond that, hey, some of this that you've already harvested, take some of that out and leave it for her. We see here how God loves the outcast. He's not worried about the bottom line here, Boaz isn't. Instead, he pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Now, if we look into this with, with our uh, unsanctified minds, we, we would be wondering at this point, why? What's his angle? Why is he being so kind and so generous? What's in it for him? And perhaps we would go to this place where we'd say, maybe this is a budding romance. This is what we'd hope because the, 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 the principle here is that of lever up marriage is that, that he would take her to be his wife. But at this point, we don't know. We're merely left to wonder. We don't have to wonder very long because Ruth, in verse 10, she just comes right out and asks. Look at verse 10. She says to him, she fell on her face, bowed on the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that You should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. She's overcome with gratitude and humility. She doesn't know what to do with herself. She's never experienced anything like this. Don't miss the connection between when she tells Naomi, Your God will be my God. And she walks into this land and she begins to find this favor here. Now, this is not prosperity theology. But this is just a picture of what God does. God says, those who trust in me, I will bless. 
And that doesn't necessarily work its, itself out in the same way all the time. But here we see him blessing her and she's overcome with gratitude and humility. Look at verses 11 and 12. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your husband and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz had heard about everything that Ruth had done. Her kindness toward Naomi, how she had left everything to come to a people that she didn't know, how she sought refuge under the wings of God. Not even her God at the moment. She comes to this God and she finds refuge. Verse 13, Ruth there, she just absolutely is overcome with this humility at the, at the gener generosity, the sacrifice of Boaz. And she says to him, I'm not even one of your servants, yet you've shown me favor through your generosity and kind words. She looks around and she goes, you owe me nothing. I, I'm not entitled to this. Yet you're doing this for me, and she's overcome. I would tell you, church, I would tell you here, Christian, tonight, that verse 12 teaches us an important lesson about the way God loves the outcast. Boaz said to her, the Lord repay you. But up to this point, Boaz is the only one who's been picking up the bill. It's been on his dime. And there's a lesson in that for all of us. The lesson is this, that because Boaz was God's man, therefore he was an instrument of God's kindness. I would tell you, church, tonight that since we are God's people, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then because you are God's man or God's woman, God's woman then it is on you to also be the agent of kindness to those who are around you. We are called to love the outcast. We are called to love the stranger. We are called to love the one who is poor. We are called to love the lost. And I can tell you this, we can, we can merely draw lines and separate out and, and talk about, well, they don't do this and they do this and, and I, can't, I can't be a part of that. And yes, we ought to stand where the Bible says that we should stand. But if all we ever do is talk about how they don't measure up, they will never come to Christ. They will never be pointed to Him. The Bible teaches, this, this teaches, this chapter teaches us that God loves the outcast and He often does it through His people. Do we welcome them? Do we protect them? Do we feed them? Do we serve them? These are all things that Boaz did for Ruth, when she did not deserve them, we are called to do the same. We learn from Boaz how God loves the outcast. Lastly, we learn from Naomi, we learn that God does not forsake his own. God never forsakes his own. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, we don't know in our day and age what, what an ephah is, just in common knowledge, but let me tell you, it's somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. 
That's a lot of grain in one day for, for, for one lady to, to pick up. The average ration for, for a worker in one day was between one and two pounds. So thanks to the generosity of Boaz, Ruth is able to take home a month's worth of groceries in one day. That's an amazing thing. In verse 18, look at that. He says there, she, she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her, her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Now we see here, one, Ruth is, is a strong, tough woman because she takes this 30 to 50 pounds of grain after working all day long, and she carries it back home. And imagine the scene when she comes back and Naomi sees her. Where did you work today? Whose field did you go into? May the Lord have favor on the one who's looked on you with favor. This was her response. Naomi saw this huge sack of grain, and just about the time that her jaw hit the floor, Ruth pulls out the doggy bag to boot. It's just like, it's just like icing on the top. It's the cherry right there. Not only am I carrying this, but look, I brought you supper. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of not only how God loves the outcast, but also how he does not forsake his own. Verse 19. Verse 19, I've gotten ahead of myself just a little bit, but her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. Now, the words just come fumbling out of Naomi's mouth. She just, beside herself, Where'd you work? Who is this? And Ruth's response, we see it here in, in the rest of verse 19. She puts together, the writer actually puts together this long sentence. It's made for us to, to be sitting on the edge of our seat waiting as if Naomi, just picture Naomi there. She's looking intently into the face of Ruth. She just can't wait to find out who it is. Who is this? Who did you, who'd you work for today? And the sentence is this. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with who I work today is Boaz. I mean, on every word she's hanging, and it just seems to go on and on and on. But when she hears Boaz, Naomi's face must have lit up. Verse 20, verse 20 says that Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. I want you to contrast that with verse 13 of, of chapter 1. It was there that Naomi had said, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. But here she says, he has not forsaken the living or the dead. Her countenance has changed. The thick black clouds that kept Naomi from seeing God's kindness were suddenly shot through with bright beams of hope. Naomi realized that God was not against her, that He had not brought calamity into her life. The kindness of God comes home to Naomi in this moment. And the kindness of God is an important theme in this book of Ruth. The original language, the word is hesed. And it's not just any love or any kindness. It's this loving kindness, this covenant faithfulness. 
And this is what Ruth begins to experience. She begins to experience a God who says, I will not forsake my own. God made his covenant with Abraham, made his covenant with his people throughout time. And, and in, in some ways, that covenant was, was one-sided. It was initiated by him. But he also said, if you will follow me, if you will trust me, I will bless you. But if you will, if you will not, then I will curse you. You will bear the curse. And here we see this playing out in that when Naomi and Ruth turn back and they come back to God, God lives up to his side of the covenant. And he begins to say, I will bless you. The same word for this is hesed. The same word was used in verse 8 of chapter 1 where Naomi prayed for her daughters-in-law and she said, may the Lord deal kindly. May he bestow hesed on you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Here we see in chapter 2, God is answering her prayer, not only for Ruth, but for Naomi too. Naomi said to Orpah and to Ruth, may the Lord deal kindly with you. God looked on that prayer and he heard that prayer and he begins to deal out kindness to Ruth. But in so doing, he takes it one step further and he says, it's not just your daughters-in-law. But it's you too, Naomi. I will not forsake my own. Look at verses 21 and 22. Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go, at, go out with this, his young women, lest in another field you would be assaulted. Now, Naomi here, we see she begins to learn from her mistakes. Before, when, when Elimelech was still alive and things weren't going all that well, the grass was greener on the other side, they decided to, to depart from God's field and go to another. And here, Naomi looks in and she's learned and she says, don't go anywhere else. It's good for you to stay right in the place where God is blessing Verse 23, we're left with a cliffhanger. There we see she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. That's how it ends. It just ends right there. I mean, we assume that things are moving fast toward perhaps a wedding. Perhaps this, this kinsman redeemer, perhaps he will, he will propose. Perhaps maybe they will get married and maybe this is what Naomi's thinking. Perhaps this is what Ruth is thinking. It certainly had to have been on their minds. But instead, two to three months go by because they continue harvesting all the way through. We don't know. This just ends with this cliffhanger here where she's still living with Naomi. We will pick up the rest of this tomorrow night where we look at chapter 3. But let me just give you just some takeaways from this tonight. Number one as we look at the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, number one, God is directing all your steps. He's at work. He, he's doing things that you can't see. And what I would tell you, child of God, is that while you're waiting, your, Pastor Greg read that passage from Isaiah 40, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. While you're waiting on the Lord, perhaps you're in the midst of a situation you don't see any way out. 
I would encourage you to wait on Him by doing the things you know to do as you wait on Him. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, when you cannot trace His hand, trust His heart. And I would encourage you to wait on Him because God is directing all of your steps. It was David Platt who said, in the middle of sorrow and suffering, God is plotting for your satisfaction. You may not know it, it may not look like it is, it is plausible to you at this moment, but take courage. God is at work. Number two, who does God want to love through you? Perhaps this, the, 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 the lessons of Boaz come home to you tonight. Perhaps you look in and you say, Boaz didn't have to love Ruth in this way. So what? He's a close relative. So what? He, he perhaps could marry Ruth, and he didn't have to. In fact, we're going to see in the, in the rest of the story that there is another relative, and he says no. I'm giving away the punchline, but he says no. But Boaz looks in, and he, he refuses to say no, and instead he does what he doesn't have to do, and he loves the stranger. Who is it in your life? Who's God put in your life? Maybe you know them already. Maybe you haven't met them yet. But perhaps there's someone who is, who is poor or lost or stranger or widow or orphan. And God has said, I haven't chosen to love them any other way but through you. So who is it that God has put in your life that He wants to love through your life? And number three, I would encourage you not to lose hope. God does not forsake His own. His kindness does not forsake the living or the dead. Many of us, if we wanted to, we could go around this room tonight and we could share story after story after story of God's faithfulness. You being here on a Monday night bears witness to the fact that I would, I would say most of you in this room, you're believers. You've walked with the Lord. Now, I don't want to take that for granted because there could be someone here who does not know the Lord, but you're here because you, you believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He did leave heaven, that He did come, and He, he lived a perfectly righteous life. He, he did uphold that side of the covenant where you didn't. And then He went to a cross and He bore the curse in your place. If you're here tonight and you're a believer, that's what you're submitting to. And so you know perhaps that you've walked through some things with God and you've seen Him be faithful. You know He doesn't forsake His own. We could go around this room tonight and we could talk story after story after story of His faithfulness. I would encourage you just to maybe go home tonight and maybe jot some of those down. Maybe think through that again. God, these were times where I saw you be faithful. Maybe ask Him to bolster your confidence in Him once more. Thank Him for the times that He's not forsaken you. We're going to see in this story, God stops at nothing to redeem a people. And this is a good thing. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to Your Word tonight. And Lord, we've merely walked through it. All we've really done, Lord, tonight is just, just look at the story. 
God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see the truth that's there. Not just the truth, Lord, that Boaz was a kind man, but Lord, help us to see your love for the outcast. Lord, help us to see how you don't forsake your own. Lord, help us to take those things to heart, to embrace them. God, I pray for the believers in this room tonight that you might live through us, that you might love through us, that you might call us to a deeper faith, that you might grant that to us tonight. God, I pray for you to glorify yourself in the building of your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Scott. In the next few moments, friends, we're just going to have a time of, of reflection and response. I don't know what that response might look like for you. Perhaps in God's writing of your story, He's brought you to this moment tonight to begin your story of faith in Him. Perhaps that's what it looks like for you. Or perhaps uh, tonight, part of your story looks like surrendering something to the Lord. It might look like uh, asking the questions that, that Brother Scott asked. Who is it in my life that God has placed here uh, for me to show God's love to? Um, so whatever that looks like for you, I would just ask you in these next moments, consider that. Respond to the Lord. I'm going to be standing right down here at the front singing just like you are. If there's a way that I could minister to you or that, or that uh, Brother Scott could, I would just ask you to slip out and come and, and stand next to us and, and speak to us about that. If you would like to pray, if this stage area, this, um, this um, pulpit area would be a good uh, setting for you to just kneel in prayer before the Lord, please feel a freedom to do that. But during this time of response, I would ask you, respond however the Lord uh, might be leading you to.